Welcome to the MFP Live podcast. I'm producer Courtney Monkier. On this episode of MFP Live, Donna Ladd and Kimberly Griffin talk to Keith Beauchamp, Deborah Watts, and Jeribu Hill about Till, the true story of Mamie Till Mobley's endless pursuit of justice for her son, Emmett Till. They discuss the exciting journey of creating the film based on Mamie Till Mobley's fight for justice, as well as the recent discoveries that was made within the Emmett Till case. They also discuss the ongoing work of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation and their commitment to getting justice for Mamie Till Mobley and Emmett Till. Keith Beauchamp is a filmmaker, co-writer, and producer of the feature film Till. Keith has been featured on a number of broadcasts and publications, including 60 Minutes, ABC World News Tonight, The Associated Press, and The Jackson Free Press. Keith's documentary, The Untold Story of Emmett Lewis Till, was a major factor in the decision of reopening the murder case back in 2004. Keith is a member of the Mississippi Free Press Advisory Board. Deborah Watts is an author, motivational speaker, co-founder of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation, and the cousin of Emmett Till. She has been featured in a number of broadcasts and publications, including Black Enterprise, Essence, and MSNBC. Deborah is also the first African-American woman to represent the Minnesota's third congressional district as a 2004 candidate for Congress in the United States House of Representatives. Jeribu Hill is an author, civil, and human rights attorney. She is the founder and the executive director of the Mississippi Center for Human Rights. She is the author of Knowledge is Power, a Know Your Rights Manual, and co-author of The Black College Guide. She has appeared on various TV and radio programs, including TV One's acclaimed series, Murder in Black and White. She also serves on Mississippi Access to Justice Commission and hosts Talking Rights with Jeribu, a weekly radio program on WDSV 91.9 FM. Here's Donna. Folks you may know well and folks you may not know as well. We're going to be talking about a very, first of all, a very fantastic film that's out right now in the theaters and also, I think, via streaming now, Till, as well, obviously, as the legacy. We're going to be talking about the legacy of Emmett Till with some people who really know what they're talking about. But first of all, I'm going to welcome my co-host and the publisher of the Mississippi Free Press, Kimberly Griffin. Hey, Kimberly. Hello, hello, hello. So we have three guests here tonight. So Kimberly and I expect to say about 10 words between us, which is just fine with us. We have an all experts around the legacy of Emmett Till in various ways. And so they'll be telling you more about that. We, we have Deborah Watts, who is a calling in from Minnesota, and she is a cousin. Isn't that correct, Deborah? Of That's Emmett correct, Till? yes. Yeah. And she is the, the head, I believe, of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. Thank you for and having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And then Jeribu Hill is calling in, I suspect, from the Delta, where <laughs> here yes. in Mississippi. And Jeribu, y'all, Jeribu is everything, but she's an attorney <laughs> for one thing. And you're going to hear more about why she's here in the show tonight. Welcome, Jeribu. Thank you. And greetings from the Mississippi Workers Center for Human Rights. In the Delta, right? Yes. <laughs> That's right. And then there's our good friend and returning guest, Keith Beauchamp. Hey, Keith. Keith is an advisory board member of the Mississippi Free Press, and he is also the co-producer and co-writer and a key inspiration for making the film worldwide hit movie Till. 
which That's is, correct. as I said, in theaters and streaming now. Welcome, Keith. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to be here. I think I'm just going to kick it to you first and to just catch us up because you were here on the show, I don't know, a year or so ago, and we were talking about the fact that the film was finally going to come out and yes. something that you and I have talked about for years is this film that right. you've been doing. So you just give us kind of the lay of the land right now, what what's going on around the film and what are you doing in conjunction with it, that kind of thing. You know, what a great thing has happened since I was last on the show, Till was released in theaters in October and as you stated, it's not only in theaters now, but it's also streaming. And I'm very happy to be here to talk about this because it was a journey to get to this point. Many of your listeners or those who are watching, they I think you would know my story a bit, how I got started with the Emmett Till case and the work that I've been doing for many years surrounding the case itself. As I was a young filmmaker in 2004 who was able to get the case reopened. And of course, the second, I, I would have to say, component of this ongoing fight was to get this film till made for the masses. And it was something that Mother Mobley wanted and it's something that she had tried to do. In fact, when she was with us for 47 years after her son's death, she actually had two movie deals and she was trying to produce this film. And unfortunately, because of the times, of course, the racial climate, it never took place. And in 67 years, people, many have tried to make this film. And we were, of course, successful in bringing this film to life. And so it's, again, for myself, it's been 29 years to get to this point. And I'm just so overwhelmed and speechless in many ways about having this moment and watching the excitement surrounding the movie itself. Filmmakers such as myself, it's a blessing to just get one project done, right? And I had the honor and the pleasure to be able to tell this story two times. One with the untold story of Emmett Lewis Till, and of course, now with Till. And so it's been a remarkable journey, and I'm just glad that I'm here to express to everyone the importance of seeing Till before it leaves theaters and before it stops streaming. It's a story that needs to be told time and time again. In fact, Mother Mobley used to tell me all the time, Keith, you must continuously tell Emmett's story until man's consciousness is risen, because only then that would mean justice for Emmett Till. I believe she had the blueprint to man's liberation when it comes to racial progression in this country, and it was through the story of Till that she was able to express that story. I haven't seen the film in theaters, so I streamed it. So I, <laughs> I recommend this to everyone else, but it is amazing. And I haven't had a chance to talk to you again since I, since I, because <laughs> I just saw the film this week. And, and I had seen a lot of what people had been saying about it. And I think one of the things I saw someone say that it was your love letter to, uh. to Mrs. Phil. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, that I, you could so see that's true. And I think women should definitely, black women especially, should direct more movies. I just want to say that up top because, mm. wow. But to kind of zoom in on it, it really is, man, it's her hero's journey in, right. in so many ways. It's so, just give my quick little summary of it. It's, yes, 
there are some very powerfully difficult scenes, but there is so much unity here. Real, just to to remind people every moment that it this is about a mother losing her son, as well as, and then going and create and really jump-starting or what, whatever word you would use, a movement. Sure. And so it, it's just it's just a remarkable film. And the way that it's done, I wish we, a lot, a lot other, of other films like this would have the same sensibility of this. So hopefully you guys are setting up a new way to do a film that's about so much trauma, but at the same time, in its own way, contains hope. Or uh, and certainly humanity. So I guess what I would like you to do, and then I'll kick it to Kimberly to take it from there, but it's talk, just tell our viewers about a little about your relationship with her and how that led to the film that we're watching now. Okay. In 1995 is when I first began communication with the late Mrs. Mamie Till Mobley. In 1996 is when we met face to face and for eight and a half years she was my friend and mentor she is the reason why i do the work that i do i can honestly tell you for if not for the murder of emmett lewis till and mother mobley's legacy they would not be a keith beauchamp filmmaker today so my whole life adult life has been wrapped around this story emmett was my kindred spirit since i was 10 years old and the film that we've just produced is actually a project that I started trying to pursue myself at the time of my meeting uh, Mother Mobley for the first time. And so now my life has come full circle in many ways. In fact, the untold story of, of Emmett Lewis Till was produced out of the frustration of not being able to produce the feature film because I actually wrote a screenplay in early 1995 that was optioned off by producers who worked with Showtime and they sat on the project. Mm -hmm. And so I had no control over the, the, sorry, the screenplay itself. And so by that time, I was already in the Mississippi Delta finding witnesses who have never spoke publicly before. I have gotten a family of Till on board, speaking to Reverend Willa Parker and Simeon Wright, which took me three years to convince him to talk to me. But with all this new evidence and information that I was coming across, we needed a vehicle to get this information out to the masses quickly. And with the encouragement of Mother Mobley, the untold story of Emmett Lewis Till was produced to you be used as a stepping stone towards that. And one of the things that she often talked about doing, and I know I mentioned this earlier, was that she wanted to see Emmett's story on the big screen. She really wanted people to continue to tell his to tell Emmett's story until their consciousness is risen, because she understood that although we may achieve justice for Emmett Till, even courtroom justice for Till, there's many other Emmett Tills that's going to continue to happen after him. And so it was her way, this story is her way of continuing to remind us how important it is for us to remember the past so that history won't repeat itself, just like we're seeing it done today. And this has been an overwhelming feat for myself. My hats go off to Whoopi Goldberg, Fred Zolo, and Barbara Broccoli, who became angels in my life, put me under their wings to make sure that we have this moment in history where 
we could talk about the movie till, which many have tried to produce over the years. And I'm just taking it all in and embracing the success of making the film and also just really adapting and to the response of it all because I'm just overwhelmed by that alone. I've always known that if we told the story of Till right, it was going to reach and move a lot of people. And thanks to Chinoya Chuku, our lovely director, we were able to achieve that. And that's why we're here now. So, Deborah, I am so excited to have you on. I have a, a pyramid of questions. So I'm going to start with one of the things that we know in Mississippi is that when there's a black funeral, you have to wait for the people from Chicago. And I'm sure the people from Chicago have to wait for the people from Mississippi to go to those funerals. Can you talk a little bit about what those migration patterns look like in your family and why Emmett was in Mississippi? Because I think some people quite, don't quite understand how all of that works, because it's not as common as it was when we were younger. Our family from the African heritage area were landed in Mississippi, in the Hazelhurst, Mississippi area, and migrated from there to the Delta area. And I should just say it's the Smith and Reese family that I'm speaking of. And Amy moved to Chicago, I believe at age two, from Webb, Mississippi. And it was customary for us and many of my, my, those that were before me to go back home, if you will, and visit relatives. And that's how Emmett ended up in Mississippi at the urging of Mose Wright, who was his great uncle. He's, uh, Mamie's mother's, or excuse me, Emmett's grandmother was a sister of Mose Wright's second wife. And so it was always customary to go back home to make sure you had that strong connection with your family and with those that, that helped to nurture you. And it was, there was always great amount of respect for Mississippi and for what Mississippi was able to be to my family, with many of them leaving there because they wanted better for themselves, they wanted better for their families. And that's how Emmett ended up back in, in Mississippi to visit relatives, just as many of us did. I hope that answered your question. No, that did answer my question because I think it's not to find a point on why he was here, why it was important for our families to stay connected in the middle of that migration. Because a lot of people will say, why they send him back? That kind of thing. And it was right. every summer there were 40 extra people in your family. <laughs> and that is not an exaggeration. Two or three people at every house. I didn't have a lot of family in Chicago, but I go to my friends' houses and I knew their cousins were like my friends and they would come in June or July and leave in late August. Right. And so that that's very important. Now, I know you and Keith worked together on getting the warrant for Carolyn Bryant in Tallahatchie County, which was very important to this story. So can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? Because I think the I think the interesting point about your family or the thing I'm most proud of, knowing that even though I just met you, is the tenacity and the not giving upness. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it. <laughs> <laughs> Generations just pass down the tenacity and keep, we will get justice. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened and what you did to end up there? Yes. And that's, it's a great question too. And the tenacity or the, I can't remember even the word that you use, but that's a part of, I think, the heritage and the women in my family. When we made 
a promise or made a connection with each other with a lot of love, with the spirit of God, with all of our faith, different faiths, being Church of God in Christ, Baptist or whatever. It was a promise that we made to each other. And it happened to be a promise that I made to Mamie at a very early age, admiring her, watching her on television, seeing her in magazines. She was an inspiration to me. And in 2088, or 1989, I'm sorry, the Civil Rights Memorial was dedicated in Montgomery, Alabama. And Mamie summoned me to be a part of that. And I was, first of all, a little bit frightened because I wasn't quite sure what she was expecting of me. But when I saw her in action, I just, I saw a person that was determined, that a person that represented the strength and the courage of many of the women in my family that had this SD, this get stuff done, the attitude, regardless of what the obstacles were. And over the years and starting the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation in 2005, I knew that we had to do something. But I always, after talking with Keith and speaking to some of our ambassadors, it was always this thing about uh, there was a warrant for her arrest, but it was never served. A warrant for her, for Carolyn Bryant Donham's arrest, but never served. And so Melissa Ernest, who's one of our ambassadors and I, worked up this plan to go to Mississippi and figure out how she could get into the, the courthouse. And it's actually in Lafleur County where we eventually heard that that's where that warrant for her, for Carolyn Bryant's arrest was. But after talking with Keith and talking with our attorney, Jeribu Hill, they were like, wait a minute, no, <laughs> there's a better plan. We had just had did a march in Mississippi. We had done a press conference at the Capitol demanding justice for Emmett. And this was in March timeframe. And with travel and everything happening, we knew we needed to go back to Mississippi and to Lafleur County. Keith happened to be in, in the area at the time, and we arranged all of our calendars to meet there June 21st. We did that. It was myself, my daughter, Terry Watts, Keith Beauchamp, Melissa Ernest, who lives in, I believe, Grenada, Mississippi. Is that right, Keith? Or Drew, That's I true. think. Or Grenada, Mississippi, That's near true. Drew, along with Kali Rashid, who's my daughter's fiance. And we, with the direction and with Jeribu, understanding that, hey, we're going, we're going to do something. We, we planned for three days because Keith had already done an assessment along with Melissa of what the magnitude of what our search might be. And they directed us, they said, the best place to start is in the basement. So there we go into the basement of the Lafleur County Courthouse with the permission of Elma Stockstill, who Jeribu used us to, and I believe had introduced Keith to an, on that initial search. And so we all went back with our gloves, our masks, our hats, ready for three days to look for this warrant. And within two hours, I think it was like an hour and a half, Kali Rashid found a box that was in the basement, turned it around. We had already been in that area, turned it around. I said, we already searched that. He was determined turned it around, opened it up, put it on top of some other boxes we had been searching and pulled out this folder, crisp red folder that had everything in it, the affidavit, the warrant for the arrest, the minutes from the minute book of the court proceedings, all in one place. How does that happen? So we know that the ancestors, well, it was miraculous that it happened, number one, within the time 
frame, but we know the ancestors. We know that Mamie, Emmett, Simi, the Smith-Reese family, and others in Mississippi that have not received justice were with us and counting on us to do what we needed to do, and we did it. Now, did we know what to do right after that? No, we were like, <laughs> we wanted to scream. We even had a visitor. I don't know if Senator David Jordan remembers this, but he came down. He was happened to be in the court courthouse that day and Elmas brought him downstairs to us and we had just found the warrant. We, yes. And so we're like, we're like, we didn't know what to do. We didn't really have a plan of how we're gonna communicate this. We hadn't talked to uh, Jeribu yet. And so he brought him down. We're all there. Oh my God, what do we say? We're, I don't know what he was talking about, but I do know that he had a, a serious illness with one of his family members. So we expressed our, our, our hope and our prayers to him. But after that, I don't know what he was saying. Do, you know, Keith, I believe would agree. And so we're like, okay, what are we going to do? So anyway, to make this short story short, we called Jeribu. We told her we found it. She had to pull over and she could tell you herself. We even went up to the bathroom. We're like, what are we going to, we didn't want to, we fell to our knees. We cried. There was a lot of different emotions, but we said, you know what? We got to figure this out. So we went to the the women's restroom, Terry, myself, and Melissa called her and said, okay, we really have it. What do we need to do? So she gave us step-by-step what we needed to do to secure it, put it in a safe place, get copies of it, and to make sure that Elma gained the the safety and security of that unserved warrant from 1955 that had Carolyn Bryant's name along with J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant's husband and his half-brother. Her name was there unchecked because they couldn't find her in the county. So So I don't know if you could... I don't know if you can hear the excitement in my voice or still the astonishment, but we know that it was by the grace of God and and the ancestors that led us there with the tenacity and the determination to find it. And within an hour and a half, what do you do? So we're just grateful. I'm sitting here envisioning Jeribu on the side of the road going, screaming into the phone, put it on the table and step away from it. <laughs> Just back away. Back away. Don't scream too loud because there are people in the courthouse. People are using it. So we didn't want to bring too much attention. Then when David Jordan walks down, we're like, all going, like, what do we do? You ought to see. And I think I, I have a photo of us. Yeah, it was crazy. But we had our gloves on. I had some kind of weird hat and a scarf around my head, looking really crazy because we were ready for the spider webs. The we're ready for the conditions. And I'll tell you, it was it was what we need. We needed that hope. We needed not only the film, not only the documentaries, not only our voices, not only our demands and our marches, but we needed that one piece of evidence that no one had uncovered. Okay, that's the astonishing thing. And so right now, there are a lot of people that are so excited about that warrant. (laughs) They are coming up with all kinds of things that they want to do. And we have a plan too. And under Jeribu's expert direction, we are pushing forward with that. And she can talk more specifically about that. But great question. Thank you for asking. And I just, I'm so excited. Reboot, let's get you in there. So talk <laughs> about we're all enjoying the vision of y'all finding this, but why don't you just address why it was so important to find this warrant and what kind of comes next in, in kind of the fight for justice, because I know y'all still have it going on. So talk some about that. First, thanks, Donna. 
Kimberly, for having us on. This is an amazing platform. And Deborah, it's so good to see you. And Keith, so good to see you guys. I miss you in the flesh, but at least we can have this platform. I will say that as a people's lawyer, I have to say that we haven't done much. It's been all about the family. It's been all about Keith's trajectory and how we've been moving. We've been really taking instruction from our clients to make sure that all things are in place. The first thing we did, our good friend, Elma Stockstill, who used to, Donna, you might remember, he was Benny Thompson's uh, chief of staff in LaFleur County before right. he ran for circuit clerk and won. Mm -hmm. Elmas is no stranger to the community. He's very upstanding and upright as a young man. He's very courageous. And so when I contacted him, when Keith initially was gonna go down and, um, wanted to start the investigation and the search. He welcomed him right away. He had heard about the film, the first film, The Untold Story. He knew about Keith's work. He knew that Keith and Usman Thompson were friends. So he was really excited about Keith coming and doing the initial work. After that, when Keith realized that it was a mon monumental job that needed to be done, we again secured access through Elmas Stockstill. And once the warrant was found on Cheney Goodman Schwerner Day, June 21st, that's really since that warrant was found on that day. End of that. As soon as I got the word from Deborah from the bathroom office, <laughs> I got word from her and Terry, these two crazy women. I got word from them. I contacted Elmas. I said, look, what are we going to do to keep them from stealing it or to keep them from destroying the evidence? He said, I'm putting it in my safe. And then he said, do you want certified copies? I said, oh my God, yes. <laughs> so he certified copies and gave oh, those wow. copies to Deborah and Terry and Keith to make sure that they had their own moment memorializing the history. So what we did a month later, we actually went on to court and filed a petition for writ of mandamus and we attached the warrant, we attached the probable cause statement and the capias to the petition. Dwayne Richardson responded about a month later. Then we replied to his response. So it's on. And what we're doing now is we're waiting patiently for a ruling on our petition. In the petition, we ask that uh, Dwayne Richardson be ordered to cause the warrant to be served. And I want to make it clear that we never ask him to personally serve the warrant because we know that's not what his job entails, but we saw the probable cause statement right there in black and white back in the day, the district attorney then even mustered up the courage to call out all three of those culprits who were responsible for that kidnapping that of course led to the lynching. So we asked that the warrant be served. And we also referenced the grand jury hearing that was called in a very hurried emergency type way because of our petition. And that grand jury hearing, we're asking that the court look at that hearing to see whether or not it was proper and to see whether or not there should not be yet another grand jury mm. convened to specifically and only address Carolyn Bryant Dunham's role in the kidnapping. We have to keep it simple. We have to be clear about the jurisdictional boundaries. There are That's questions right. about whether the murder even occurred in LaFleur County. So actually what Dwayne should have been doing was bringing the grand jury together to look at the culpability of Carolyn Bryant Dunham mm -hmm. as to the kidnapping. And of course we know the kidnapping led to the lynching. So we're hopeful 
waiting patiently for the wheels of justice to turn. But I will say that none of this would have happened if it were not for the ongoing strength and courage and persistence of both Deborah and Terry and her family, and also Keith, just mm. from all the years of knowing him, I've never known him to do anything but, and I know he has a lot of other things that he's done, <laughs> but the one central thing that's a constant ever is Mamie Till Mobley, Mobley's life wishes. As she went to her grave, she was still fighting for her baby boy. And the film, Donna, you are so right. The film is amazing. The film is amazing. And the things that I like about the film, of course, I love the acting because that's what I come out of. I wish I could have been in it. If I had <laughs> acting and gone to be a lawyer, I should have <laughs> had a small role or something in that because it was so amazing. Every actor would want to be a part of this production. And the, the last thing I'll say is, is that I have that gangster instinct in me. I have that revenge instinct in me. And the part, the way that Carolyn Brian Dunham was portrayed was particularly gratifying to me as a warrior, as a freedom fighter. I love yes. how he was correctly depicted in the film. So I'll yes. say stop there, but I want to thank Mississippi Free Press for all that you guys do and for this platform that's so amazing. Thank yes. you so much. Well, thank you. And we've known each other a long time. And, and I appreciate you so much to reboot everything that you do. It's funny, you were talking about Carolyn Bryant there. I have my little notebook where I'm writing down all of these <laughs> one-liners from the film because it's one of the most quotable films. Yes, I'm telling is. you, it really is one of the most quotable <laughs> films. And you as a co-writer, Keith, my God, yes. you know, this, wow. But so as you were talking there, I was, I looked, my eyes fell on this quote from Mamie in the film where she says, my boy is dead and Carolyn Bryant is going to be just fine. Right. Wow. And I think I'll kick it to Deborah as a family member to answer the question of why to you it's so important that that this, the, I guess the fight for justice continues and to try to still bring Carolyn Bryant to trial. Yes, I, great question. It should continue. I think the country's been holding their breath for 67 years for this horrible wrong to have some kind of justice towards it. It's a reflection on America. It's a reflection on our, our judicial system. It's also a reflection on Mississippi and a reflection on those people that want to change the narrative, that want to move beyond what has happened and move towards reconciliation, tourism, all those other profit-oriented colonialism kinds of things. And May wanted justice. And in our agreement with her, we promised we would do something and we would not allow his death to be in vain. Mm -hmm. And even in her book, The Death of Innocence, she mentioned she wanted us to carry on. And no one could step into her shoes. No one could be that courageous mother like she was. We never wanted that. But without hate, vengeance, or any kind of malice, that's how Mamie showed up in the world. That's how she represented. And we have nothing else but to do, not stepping in her shoes because we can't, but to do how she led us. The blueprint that Keith talked about, she laid that blueprint not only for our family, but for other mothers who've had the 
same unfortunate, their children, their lives have been stolen just as hers was. So it is so important that we allow this country to exhale, that we show up, that we bear witness as Mamie asked us to do. And that movie, the movie allows us, allows everyone to do that all across the world. And so we're so grateful for that opportunity. Now, what do we do with that? How do we move forward? And we move forward with pushing for justice. We are not stopping. We are going to continue. And I think the movie gives us more of a platform and you all allowing this platform for us to somehow to rejoice in the story being told, rejoice in the superb nature in which this film was done and the actors and to celebrate all of that, but then also not to stop. We owe it to Mamie Till Mobley to honor her wishes, move forward with this legacy and this blueprint that she's laid for us and continuing to fight for justice. It's really important. It's important for, the, for America, America's judicial system and for all those things that she represented with the Civil Rights Division. It's important for us to stand up for Mamie, stand up for Emmett, which means we're standing up for all those other unfortunate lives that have been stolen as well. Deborah, I, wow. That's all, all I can say is, wow. Keith, you and I, right before we came on, we were talking about all the publicity everybody's been doing and you're headed back overseas. When you, and you've been screening this a lot for young people, and right now we're talking about, we're using the misnomer of critical race theory, which is actually not what people are asking to be taught in school. They're asking for act, the actual factual history to be taught in school. Right. We had a meeting with one of a retired president and she was like, critical race theory is something you get a master's and a PhD in. It's not something you teach AP history. Can you tell us what you're hearing from young people about mm-hmm. the film? Did they know about it? If they knew about it, did they know the complexities associated with it? Are they shocked? I'd love to hear about responses from overseas because, it, and in the North, I'm in two organizations that are having their conferences in the South next year. And, and people are acting like we've asked them to go to, on a polar bear excursion and that this is the most horrible <laughs> oh place in the world. And so all the people from the South are pushing back a little, we're not pushing back a little bit, we're pushing back hard. And we're saying things like, we all live next door to the same problem. Your lines are just drawn a little bit better on your districts, on your election. So tell us what you're hearing nationally, internationally. The greatest thing, Kimberly, is that this is not my first rodeo being taking till around the world. I had, to, I was able to do that with The Untold Story as a documentary that went to theaters in 2005 and then found itself around the world. And I had the pleasure of traveling internationally early on during 2004, that window of time when the documentary was out. And the film was, Untold Story, was embraced by many, in particular overseas. Here I was, a younger version of myself, overseas exposing Emmett Till to a, a generation who were quite aware of the story. And it was only here, unfortunately, in America, that many didn't know the story quite well. They study civil rights history. So taking Till, which is a more of a narrative, has more of an entertainment value to it. Taking this film around the country and overseas, people are embracing it. It's a new way that this story 
is being delivered. They are captured by the performances and they're floored by the truth. And that was something that Mother Mobley and I talked about before her passing was her journey to tell the story and also why others who came into her life failed at doing so. Because a lot of times when you think of producing a narrative film on the story of Till, unfortunately, at the time, people were fighting and trying to figure out how the film would be produced because of how Hollywood was producing their films during those days, how they were using creative licensing and all these different things of telling these stories. And people were not a fan of that. Families who had their true stories being adapted was not a fan of that either. And she kept telling me, Keith, you can't, when you take on the story, you must tell the truth. You cannot use creative licensing over and over again in this film because you're going to fail. And that's why I believe that we were able to achieve and be successful in producing the film. So people are embracing the truth. They're shocked at it, of course, because uh, there's a lot of people who didn't quite know the story of Emmett Till. And I have to say, I used to be the youngest person in the room. So my whole vision of this and how the blessing of being able to tell the story internationally has changed over the years because I realized that there's a whole new generation ushering in right now who is lear- who are learning about Till for the first time. And so when I'm going out, I see these fresh new faces, these young faces of people who are learning about Till and those contributions and how they were able to learn about Till was the, by the ongoing efforts that Mother Mobley started and that, of course, was transferred to me in my storytelling itself. And people want to see justice. I have to be clear about that. And and I've always have to also make it clear that uh, this film is not just a movie, it's a movement. And that was the reasoning behind producing this film. We didn't produce the film just to entertain you. We produced this film so it can awaken that sleeping giant once again, that sleeping giant for change in each and every one of us to make sure that not only that we educate the public about this tragedy, but also to make sure that justice prevails because that's what Mother Mobley wanted. That's what the late Simeon Wright wanted, who was our consulting producer on the project before his passing. And so they, we had a number of members of our ancestry who basically trusted and trusted us with this story to keep it going and also to make sure that justice prevails. Because only when justice prevails that we could truly say that we live in a country of equal justice under the law. It was quite frustrating that Mother Mobley had to fight for 47 years to see us get to this point. That should have never happened. We should have had indictments before her passing. It was frustrating to see that the case was reopened one year after her passing, but she knew the evidence that we had in the case. And that's something I can honestly say I have solace about is that knowing that she was able to see the evidence that was used to get the case reopened. And it's the same evidence that should indict Carolyn Bryant today. And again, it's just truly a blessing to be able to share this story to the world. There's a curriculum with the film so we could continue to educate the masses. And so it's just an exciting time. I feel like I've been talking about this so much lately and as you have been, but it's, it's truly remarkable to, to learn of 
learn about a historic story as a child, and then ultimately becoming a part of that historic story yourself along the way, and then see the fruits of your labor. Most people who do this type of work, a lot of times don't get a chance to see the fruits of their labor before them. The fruits of their labor normally comes after their passing because it's such a long struggle. But I get to see immediately the change that people are having. You have to understand, too, the reopening of the Till case in 2004 actually inspired so many different things. We have the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Act that came out of the Civil Rights Cold Case Initiative in 2000, 2006, which was inspired by the reopening of the case, all the way up to the signing of the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. Yes, it was been 67 years since Emmett Till's passing, but it was over 120 years and over 200 attempts to get to this point. And so Till has brought us so much good, just the simple fact of acknowledging this atrocity. But we must go to, to the final goal. We must get to the final goal, and that is to make sure that all who participated in the kidnapping and murder of Till is actually brought to justice. Because if we don't do that, then what was all this work for? Deborah, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation, what your goals are, what's next for the foundation. Now that so much is happening, it's like you in the last 24 months, you have, you're already were doing such heavy work. And now it's <laughs> like, we brought this, what is happening around the film and the warrant are probably adding some layers to that work. Yes. We're just so honored to be able to establish an organization such as this in the memory and to honor the legacy of both Mamie and Emmett Till. And that's essentially how we started, is to make sure that the story was told, that it was a truthful story, and that we would add our authentic voices to this story. Because we understand how important it is that, that the stories are told, but when you don't have family members that can add some layers, extra layers to it, or that are deeply committed, although there are others like Keith and others that are committed, it's unusual to have a family to pick up the mantle, if you will, push forward for all of these years and to try to fill in the footsteps of somebody that was so amazing, courageous, and just had this unique ability to pour into the lives of young people. But that's basically how we started was making sure that Emmett's death was not in vain and that people would remember both of them and that we would pour into the lives of young people with the resources that we had. And that meant providing scholarships, making sure that young people had an opportunity to go south, if you will, from the north and other places to look at HBCU colleges and universities. So we provide scholarships for that. Also, we have a documentary that's called Who Killed Emmett Till? It was produced in 2005. And so we've shown that all across the country as well and poured into the lives of young people in helping to expand story, talk about our relationship with Mamie, to bring some sort of humanness to both Mamie and to Emmett. We think that's truly important as well. It's not just his horrific picture that you see. He had a life. He was a young man with swag, with style, with class and with dreams and hopes. So we wanted to make sure that came to life. And then we wanted to make sure we made a difference. 
you know, that we made the difference in the lives of women. We have the Women of Courage Awards where we honor other women like Jeribu Hill and others who she's going to be named soon as one of our Women of Courage who do some extraordinary things, even though they're leading their lives in one way, but they make some decisions about something that can change the whole trajectory of other people's lives and their hopes and dreams. So we have a also a, a women's empowerment symposium called Loving from the Inside Out, where we make sure that women understand if they love themselves first, they can make decisions like Mamie did in order to move forward in their lives. And then the power of history, turning tragedies into triumph, sharing our story, sharing Emmett's, uh, or excuse me, Keith's documentary, along with our Who Killed Emmett Till to audiences, private audiences, celebrity children, to churches and private homes and universities across the country. And then our Justice for Emmett Till, which we have a petition right now. We also have been moving forward with other initiatives that I believe people can grab a hold to and to amplify our voice. We have the Never Again Movement and Pledge. And we also connect in with other families of stolen lives, of police violence. And then from a civil engagement perspective, from voting rights to human rights, judicial rights, economic rights, and making sure that we're advocating on the Hill for policies that can help other civil rights era families achieve justice because most of those, un the untold story of Emmett Lewis Till, or not the untold story, I'm sorry, but the Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Act, the success rate of those cases has not been what it should be. So many of them, because of our search for the warrant, they're going into the basements of some of these courthouses, those civil rights era families as well. So we even have a couple of other initiatives, I'll just say real quickly, and that is to get a stamp. We're moving forward with some folks in Chicago that started with getting a stamp to honor Mamie and Emmett. Also the Presidential Medal of Freedom. We believe that Biden can honor Mamie, particularly with this film. There's no question that she should not receive that posthumously. And then also the Victims of Racially Motivated Murder Act. We have a way that the mental health support and therapy should be afforded to the families of victims of the civil rights era murders, along with those families, the current families. We worked in Minnesota with the Lewis Hill Victims Recovery Program that does the same thing. So yes, we have a lot that we've done. We have a lot that we wanna move forward. And we do this standing on the shoulders of Mamie Till Mobley with limited resources, because we do have that passion. We wanna turn this tragedy into triumph and we want to use our passion and making sure that our purpose is on point with where Mamie would want us to go. So thank you for asking. You're welcome. It's funny, just listening to all of you talk and something Kimberly said a few minutes ago made me think about this with the film. And there, so there's a thing or two I want to mention before we run out of time about the film. It is so layered, right? And it, there's a lot in two hours and 10 minutes going on. I talked about the depiction of Mamie and her strength, but there are a couple of other scenes I had mentioned to the chat to everyone here, the scene, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it, but Whoopi Goldberg playing Mamie's mother, yes. it, right, and, and how she had so regretted encouraging Emmett to go south to Mississippi is, it's a short scene, but it's so powerful. And then the other one, though, that I can't not mention is when Mamie, without giving up too much of the film, but when Mamie and her uncle, right, or Mose, right, yes, was her right. uncle, 
when she saw him in Mississippi and he explained the choice that he had to make, I thought I was going to just fall off out of my chair that that was mm. in its own way had this air of Sophie's choice, the film that was about the Holocaust. And it was just this remarkable scene. And another thing that both those scenes did, I think, was it reminds everyone just how much of a, a closed terroristic society that Mississippi was for its black residents. We had the scene at the front of the film where Mamie ran into some racism at a department store in Chicago. Yes, it's everywhere, but right. here there were no options. There were no ways out. And I really think that this, this film says that better than anything I've ever seen about our state, that it really shows that almost in a subtle way, but then it's not subtle. Anyway, that's my mini review. And I think I'll kick it right here at the end. Jeribu grew up here. And just to hear what you would add to that to yeah. close us out. I just am glad that you said that because I think sometimes people think I don't have any history here. My whole family is from Bolivar County. And we were in Mount Bayou the other night. Someone said, oh, wow, look, you came to the party. I said, what are you talking about? I'm at home. This is my county. But I just really want to say, Donna, that I would not be able to do this work if it were not for the blessings of the Mississippi Worker Center for Human Rights. Mm -hmm, My board, right. including Keith Boschamp, have given me the green light. We had to vote on this to take up the Emmett Till case because mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a workers' rights issue. But right. I just want to say I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I'm also grateful to be in my ancestral home in the Mississippi Delta where every person in my family was born except for my siblings. We are all from the Mississippi Delta, except for me and my three brothers and sisters. All of us were born elsewhere because our dad was a Baptist preacher and we traveled around. But Bolivar County is my home county. The Delta is where I'm from. I'm living my best revolutionary life here. <laughs> Thanks to folks like you, I get to talk because you know everybody doesn't let me talk. And Keith has <laughs> helped me to be on platforms. I appreciate it. Deborah, I've been on her platform. So you all are some brave folks. Okay. <laughs> everything. We love you. We're going to make sure, Deborah, we're going to make sure that we get justice. We're going to get justice. No matter what, we're going to get justice. You better believe. Right. I know the miracle worker, Keith Boshap, has some irons in the fire that we don't even know about yet. But we're going to turn over <laughs> every stone. Donna, we go, we're going to make sure that you got some stories that are you <laughs> stories that are going to be on fire. But I just bow down to Keith and I just appreciate you so much for staying the course and working through crazy Hollywood. My God, you did it. You did wow. that. All right. Thank and I'm you. so proud of you. So proud. Yes. Thank you, Keith. You, Thank you, you. you made him get it right, Keith. <laughs> I know. I'm not, he did. I hope so. And I'll be remiss not to say that you all contributed to the success. Donna, you and I go back a long way. Jeribu. Deborah, Kimberly, I know we just met, but look, we're all family and you all have contributed to this success. Mm. I know the importance of telling the story, these stories from a true perspective. And that's what we did. We were able to do with this film. And I just hope that this, this is just a start because mm. most of my body of work has been about those sheroes and heroes right. of Mississippi in right. particular.
particular the Mississippi Delta. And I truly believe that if things doesn't change in the Mississippi Delta, you won't see change around this world. And so let's hope this is a new day in telling these stories that we're able to get these stories out to the masses and get these stories finally told on the big dream, because I think it could be helpful with not only educating, but also keeping the fire burning with whatever movement that we're fighting on. And you lifted up Medgar, you lifted up oh. Andy Moore, you lifted up Murley in the film. Yes, yes. We could not tell a Mississippi. We could not tell a Mississippi film without including them. And you know that Mega was very intricate in yes. the fight for justice for Emmett Till. So I could not have told this story without him. Yes. Oh, I and I'm, we're grateful. We're so grateful. As family, you just need to know we're truly grateful. And you did a good job. You said it in a way that we couldn't even say it ourselves. We've been saying it, but it helped to amplify it. So I just want you to know how grateful I am. And for the media. And you all opening up your platforms because that's what that's Mamie right. did. She that's did that. Right. And so it's continuing. So I just want to encourage you all to know that we're grateful for that and keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Thank you. And I tell you, I love Jeribu's words there at the end, living my best revolutionary life. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> and those of us who understand what that means and how frustrating, but yet wonderful <laughs> that it, it actually can be. We encourage other people to come on down and join us in this revolution to make Mississippi everything it can you know, better than the sum of its past. But thank you all. My goodness, this was an amazing show. I knew it would be, but man, we, gosh, we really appreciate you guys doing this. Thank you. I know Keith is like spinning around the world <laughs> over and over again, pr promoting this movie. So it's so great to, yes. to be able to just get you all into the same room. We appreciate you guys so much. And for all of you out there watching and commenting and those who will watch in the future, when everybody shares it online and also the podcast, thank you so much for joining the show. Please be inspired by it. Watch the film if you haven't, because mm -hmm. it's just spectacular. Yeah. And, and Kimberly and I also want to thank you for being such great supporters of the Mississippi Free Press. It's, we're, we're almost going to turn three here in the spring, and it's been an amazing three, three years, a bit of a blur. We've got a whole new schedule of MFP Live shows coming for you in January. This is the last one this month. But so we've got much more coming up. We are nonprofit media. I will get in trouble with Kimberly if I do not say that we are in our end of the year news match campaign. We had a fabulous November, as you can see there. And so anything you guys can do to help us, this money this next year is going straight into staff, both hiring and supporting the staff that we have. There's a promotion y'all will be hearing about that's very exciting. At least one new reporter that we already know is coming in and so a lot of things are going on but we're able to do that because of your donations it's really reader driven and we so appreciate what everybody has done to support us to date and just sharing the stories and subscribing to the newsletter so thank you all so much thank you keith thank you jeribu thank you so much deborah you guys keep up the good work and just keep us abreast of what's going on and we will keep telling your stories MFP Live is a production of the Mississippi Free Press, reader-supported solutions journalism for the Magnolia State. You'll find it at mfp.ms. MFP Live streams most Thursdays on the MFP's Facebook and YouTube pages, where you can listen live and participate in the show by commenting. 
The MFP Live podcast is an edited version of the live show. The hosts of MFP Live are MFP co-founders Donna Ladd and Kimberly Griffin. This episode of MFP Live was produced by Todd Stauffer. The podcast was produced by Courtney Munkier and it's available on popular listening apps and platforms. Learn more at mfp.ms slash live.